how God loves us, how we're supposed to love God. I'm just hitting the love walk from every angle that's humanly possible. We're just trying to get you so you have no excuse, you know, and how, you know, uh, loving the lost, loving your fellow believer we're going to talk about in the next couple weeks, and, and loving the pastor. Does the pastor, how is he supposed to love you? How, how are you supposed to love your pastor? And, and, and we've been talking about all these different things and how, you know, that you even, we even talked about how you're supposed to love yourself with a, uh, not a selfish love, but a love that has self-interest because it's important that you get you to heaven. Can I get an Amen. And, you know, you need to have interest in yourself to get you to heaven. And you need to get you saved because you are the one that's going to help get other people saved. Can I get an amen? All that is self-interest. It's not selfish. Now, Timothy talks about a selfish love. It's even a different word in the Greek. It's phileo bio. And it's, I mean, auto phileo. And it means like autobiography, self-biography, auto love, which is self-love. And it's a perverted type of love. And it says in the last days, men will be lovers of their own selves. And they'll be... Uh, you know, heady and high-minded. Uh, they'll be unthankful and unholy. They'll love pleasure more than they love God. And there's a whole list of depraved character, lack of character traits uh, that Paul goes through as he communicates that to Timothy. But today I want to talk about how people are to love uh, the, the pastor or the man of God, whether it be me or whether it be somebody else, because it is not me. It's the office that I stand in. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. We found out last week uh, that... Uh, we, we, we're trying to find how is the minister supposed to love the people. And we found out that there's not one verse in the entire Bible that tells, directly says how people are supposed to love their pastor. So do you, mean, do you suppose that means that we're not supposed to do that? Well, of course not. But we found many, many, many verses about how uh, indirectly it tells those who are uh, the flock are to love their pa- I mean, how the, the pastor is to love the people. There's not a verse that says uh, that a pastor is supposed to love the people. And then I looked this week, and I found out that there's not, uh, this week, there's not a single verse in the Bible how people are to love the minister. Well, Pastor Bill doesn't say in 1 Corinthians 13 that we're all supposed to love one another, and uh, all that big, long verses there, and all that long list of things that it says that you know, it, it's never envious, it's always kind, it, it never seeks its own, it never thinks the worst. And, and we go down that wonderful list over there in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and the Bible commands us to walk in love. These are the two great commandments, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the whole law and the prophets hang upon this uh, command and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, pastor, how could it possibly be that there's no place in the Bible where it tells the pastor how to love the people and it tells the people how to love the pastor? Or to do that? Well, it does. Everybody say, I'm really glad. You don't have to worry. The Bible talks about how the pastor is supposed to love the people. And it talks about how the people are supposed to love the pastor. Can I get an amen? And that is a very important, very important thing that we understand. Because the whole thing unravels if we don't understand this. So last week we talked about that. And we said last week that the main way that the pastor loves the sheep can be really derived out of 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, where it says that the elders that are among you feed the flock of God. That's me. You know the word pastor means feeder? We said that you should be just calling me feeder bill, not pastor bill. Because that's what pastor means. You know, I hear about these churches that, well, this is a non-teaching pastor. 
This is an administrative pastor. He doesn't teach. And I think, why you, you really don't get it, do you? You really don't get it. There's no such thing as a pastor doesn't teach. It says, now, these are the requirements if a man desires the office of a bishop. That's pastor. And it goes through the requirements, and it says, apt to teach. And the word pastor comes from the word poimen. That's the verb form for feed. In other words, feeder. And they have people in their church that they say are pastors. Yet he's administrative. He doesn't really. He's, he, you know, he's musical or, or he's this and he's this. I, I got news for you saints. There's no such thing as a pastor that doesn't feed the flock. It's inherently diametrically opposed to what the original language is saying. That's how far out of whack we can get when we follow culture instead of Bible. Somebody say Amen. So here's the deal. We found out that we're feeding the flock and we're taking oversight. Oversight of what? Oversight of a basketball game? Or, I mean, what, 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 what is he overseeing? What, what is a pastor supposed to oversee? He's supposed to oversee you coming and feeding and then give oversight of you doing the word, him providing for you opportunities to do the word, which is to serve your brothers and sisters to love your brothers and sisters, to pray for your brothers and sisters, to come to church and forsake not the assembling of your brothers and sisters, to not desert your brothers and sisters through not coming to church. And I'm supposed to teach you and give you opportunities to be doers of the word. Everybody say doers of the word. I'm going to teach you the word, and that's teaching, and then I'm going to train you to do the word by saying, okay, we would like to have you help um, with an outreach. We'd like to help you have you help uh, teach. And then, then what, so... What we're trying to do is I'm teaching you, this is how I, my love for you, and God commands, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. How many remember over there when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he kept saying, I phileo you, when Jesus was saying, do you agape me? And he kept returning the uh, question by saying, well, I phileo you. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. See, the most important thing that I can do if I love God and love the people is feed the sheep. Somebody say amen. How many of you know the Bible says my people perish or are destroyed for a lack of knowledge? How many of you know that it says that knowledge, by knowledge, wisdom, peace and grace, grace and peace will be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. How many of you want grace and peace multiplied in your life? Well, the Bible says grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God. Where do you get the knowledge of God? Your pastor, your feeder teaches you the knowledge of God through the word. And so he is, his gift unlocks your gift. So if I love you, I'll teach you truth. Jesus said, my word is truth. This is truth. And it says, you will know the truth. If you continue in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. How many of you want to be freed instead of destroyed? That will be to the degree that you receive the truth that your pastor is teaching you. Amen. Now, there are other sources, too, but the primary way that God wants us uh, is to have a pastor in our lives. Not a, not a life coach, not a motivational speaker. They do not have divine gifting from heaven to unlock your gift inside. Don't, don't, don't ever reduce a divine, holy office to a common, man-made uh, relationship. People are trying to do that today. They're, they're, they, they're unknowingly destroying uh, the very concepts of the Bible through changing the meanings of words. And so 
The pastor loves the people by feeding them, giving them opportunity to be doers of the word and grow, and protecting them from false doctrine and false teaching. Can I get an amen? With your children, if you love your children, if you know how to rule your own house, how can you rule the house of God, the requirement says in 1 Timothy 3. In other words, the way I know I'm doing it right, if I don't know how to rule my own house and raise good kids, that are, which are all serving God today, if I don't know how to do that, how dare I think I could possibly rule the house of God? How dare I think that I would even try to do that? If I can't even, if I can't even get it to work in my own kids, why would I try it on somebody else? And so I know that if I love my kids, I would feed them. Can, can I get an amen? Amen. If I love my kids, I will protect them from people and thinking that would destroy them. Can I get an amen? If I love them enough, I'm not going to let them sit in front of the television, in, in front of the uh, phone screen all day long, but I'm going to give them opportunities to go out and exercise the true principles of life so that when they grow up, they don't have to be babysat. They can actually get hired and do a real job. Somebody say amen. Every dad that loves his kid takes him out and makes him work. Every mom that loves their daughter will take him in that kitchen and teach him how to work and how to clean that house and how to make those meals and how to do some things that are worthwhile. And so the same thing is true for me. If I love you, I'll feed you. If I love you, I'll keep you from poison and poisonous, toxic thinking and people. If I love you, I'll give you opportunity. I won't let you be a couch potato or a pew potato but I'll actually try to provoke you to good works like the Bible commands me to do and try to uh, even, even sometimes rebuke you to do it, sometimes admonish you, sometimes rebuke you, and sometimes you know, push you a little bit out of the nest to grow up. So that is true. Everybody say, that's love. Discipleship is love. Just like spanking a child is love, the Bible says he that, you know, he that spares the rod hates his child, but he that loves him disciplines him at the appropriate times, Proverbs. See, if you really love your child, you'll discipline them. If you hate them, you'll let them do what they want, and they turn out to be a monster, and everybody hates them, and they can't figure out why. It's the truth. Somebody say amen. So we have to understand what it is to really be loved. Now, how does those who are receiving the word, how can they show their love for that? How can you... You know, we said that, that the pastor's love for the people isn't that you're, you know, we're not fishing buddies, we're not palsy wells, you know, that's not what love for, now that may be love from your, from your brother and, and somebody that you go and do things with, and, but, but the pastor's love has to be like parents. How many of you know, I can't just be my kid's best friend? I can't just go do Facebook with them. I can't let them do what they want. I can't give them candy instead of vegetables. I can't, I can't be palsy well. How many of you know they've got... Seven billion people that they can choose to have a friend, but you only have one dad. See, so I've got to maintain dad, not pal. I can't be pal status because then I can't correct you. I've seen pastors get so friendly with their sheep that when they, he moved on to try to integrate some new people, and they got so jealous and furious, they quit the church and ran and, and, and split the church and tore everything up because they were so selfish they wanted the pastor for themselves, and they couldn't realize that the pastor can't do that. 
So that's not pastoral, but feeding. So how do you respond to that feeding? Now let's, we're going to look at that today. Turn with me to uh, num- excuse me, fir- 3 John 3 and 4. We're going to go there first, then we're going to go over to another scripture. Go to 1 John, excuse me, 3 John, 3 John, and this is what the Bible says. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health as thy soul prospers. How many of you want your soul to prosper? That's your mind, will, and emotion. That's your thinking. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. How many of you know Jesus? What did Jesus say the truth is? My word is truth. John 17, 17. Everybody say it with me. Jesus said it. He said, my word is truth. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. First John, I mean, John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus said, my Word is truth. God is truth. Jesus is truth. And he said, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. You could say, the Word that is in thee. Because Jesus said, thy Word is truth, Right? So we can rejoice to know that the word is in our kids. You know, I rejoice when I start hearing my kids use the verses of scripture that I taught them when I hear them talking to other people. I really get excited when they start quoting the scripture when they're talking to me. I really get excited when I see them not only uh, speak the word, but when I see them doing the word. And say, no, I can't do that because the word says, Dad, don't you know that? Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. You got it. That, that trips my trigger just about more than anything else I can tell you. For we rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified that the truth that is in thee, even that thou walkest in truth. So it has to be in them, and that's one level of getting excited. But then you see it says that thou walkest in the truth. You can say that the word is in thee, and thou is walking in the word. In other words, if you want to trip the trigger of a preacher, if you want to make a pastor happy, if you want to really bless the person that teaches you the word every week, then reveal to him the truth or the word that's in you and reveal to him the truth that you're living and walking out in your life. Because what that's saying is, the pastor put that truth or that word in me, and the pastor helped me and encouraged me and provoked me to be a doers of that word as well. And then you will see one happy pastor. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care. When a pastor sees his children, spiritual children, the people in his congregation doing the word, living it out, knowing it, having it in their heart, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to have a bunch of people in my church that are free, not being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Somebody say amen. Then in verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy. There's no greater joy than this. If you want to love your pastor, make him have, so there's no greater joy. No greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The truth of the word. That the greatest thing that you can do for your pastor, this is the greatest thing, the greatest expression of love, because there's no place where it says, now sheep, love your pastor. No, but it tells you to do things like walk in truth. It tells you things like let the truth live inside of you. And then it tells you things like there's no greater joy for the preacher than to see that. So uh, if you can connect those dots, if you can connect those dots, 
then you can realize the way I can love my pastor is to receive the word and let it dwell in me and begin to walk it out and live it out is the greatest way that I can make his joy, no greater joy, that's the greatest way I can express love towards him. Can somebody say amen today? So the way that sheep love their shepherd, their feeder, the way that people are to love their pastors, the way that uh, the people in the church love even the ministers of any level that's over them, the leadership that's over them, is to begin to demonstrate that, yes, I'm receiving the word you're teaching. Yes, I'm living the word you're teaching. Yes, I'm being blessed and prospered by the word that you're teaching. Yes, I am receiving that from you. Now, let me show you something that is just the opposite that would really make me sad. Turn over there, and I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures, out of, one out of the Old Testament, then out of the Gospels. Numbers 27, 16, 17 Moses is about to depart, and he's, choo- he's choosing a successor, and this is when they chose Joshua to take over uh, the congregation. And I'm just going to read there, and it's in Numbers 27 and 16. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Oh, I thought we were supposed to vote a man. No, God sets every member into the body as it pleases him, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. How many of you know that God sets pastors over churches? Now, there's a lot of churches that don't do that. They just hire somebody, and they get a hireling, and they have a vote and a hireling. Well, there's no voting in the Bible, and Jesus completely condemns the system of hirelingism, completely condemns it. So does judges. So when God sets, let the Lord, the God of all spirits, of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. God does not want us to, have, to be sheep without a shepherd. And when it says, we'll lead them out, in other words, he takes them out to feed, and then at night he brings them back into the corral. He takes them out and brings them in. You come out to be fed, and then you go back home to go in and, and learn more and to, and to begin to be a doer of the word. So a shepherd, you know, in, over there in Matthew 9.36, Jesus said he saw the people mutilated and cast down and torn as sheep having no shepherd. Wow. Well, why is that? Because there's no feeder. Well, what does that have to do with thing? They're not being fed. Uh, what, what does that have to do with thing? They're destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they're not being fed. I've seen people's lives who flourished. I've seen people's lives who were blessed. I've seen people's lives who had good marriages. And then I've seen them leave a church. And I saw slowly their marriage fell apart. Secondly, slowly their finances fell apart. Thirdly, slowly their kids fell apart. And when it was all said and done, nobody was in church, nobody was serving Jesus, probably no one was really saved, and probably everyone was going to go to hell. It always gets quiet when you talk like that for some reason. But let me tell you something. You need to be fed. You need to cooperate with God's man, God's system, his institution of feeding, that's the church, the Bible says the, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And Jesus said, my word is truth. You could say the church is the pillar and the ground of the word. Because there is where you get taught. 
There is where the feeders come to teach you. There is the matrix of your development where you are asked to be doers of the word, to love each other, to serve each other, to do things like a helps ministry. Uh, it may be uh, being an usher. It may be being a nursery worker. It may be being an outreach person. It may be coming folding letters. That I don't know what it is, but it's something where you're asked to do something that doesn't benefit you, but it benefits others. In other words, you're asked to do things that require you to walk in love. Somebody say amen. The church is the place where you can exercise your love walk. The church is the place where you can exercise your word walk. It's a place where you can exercise your truth walk. It is an institution by God. It has offices over it, leadership, that, is, that all have to be teachers, apt to teach before you can qualify for the office of any type of bishopric. And so you, you, you've got to understand that in this place, there is a cooperating with the, path, with the institution, which cooperates with the head of that institution, the pastor or whoever's in charge. So it is literally a cooperating because the pastor is putting the word into you. The church is, an, is a, how can I say, a training ground for you to begin to exercise and be a doer of the word. And then it is a place where you can be sent out into the world to bring the word to the world the lost world that needs it. Can I get an amen this morning? See, and your love is the, your cooperation with that. Your love for the pastor is to cooperate with that. Somebody say amen. I mean, it's getting really quiet in here, I know. So when we realize that, then we realize that there's a lot of personality worship in the body of Christ. They're going to that church because they like that guy. They like that. They like that praise and worship leader. They're so cool. They're so attractive. Whatever it is. Never fall in love in the natural sense with the person, but show love towards God through respecting the office. Somebody say amen. You know, cult, cults, cultic type of situations are when people are really moved to like the leader. And the leader has kind of this person-to-person, buddy-palsy-wellsy, you know, love for the people. It's not based on God's plan. It's not based on God's institution. It's not based in God's offices. It's based in oochie-coochie, feely, feely good, you know, warm and fuzzy. And it's not based in what God wanted the church to be. Can I get in? Does anybody understand what I'm saying this morning? How does a David Koresh get as many people to follow him? How did these cult leaders, and, and I dare say there's churches today, large churches today, it's almost more of a cult leading than it really is a word of God, an exercise in the word of God. It really is, and it's really sad. Because Paul said this, and number one, I'm going to talk about the issue of honor, how you love your pastor, how it relates his, to his loving you by feeding you the word. Paul said these two things. In Romans eleven thirteen. 13, Paul said, I magnify my office. What does that mean? And in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he said, this is a, a, a good and acceptable saying, that Christ saved sinners of whom I am chief. What? Paul, you're the chief sinner? You wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. How Christ saves sinners, of whom I am chief. I'm a chief sinner, Paul said. I'm a chief sinner. 
But then over here in Romans, he says, I exalt my office. You know, one person asked, they said, well, Pastor Bill, what should we call you? Should we call you Pastor Bill or just Bill? And I'd say, if I were really arrogant, I would ask you to call me Bill. Because then you'd look to my person to lay hands on you and to bring healing. You'd look to my person to be your teacher. You'd look to my person to get the vision and lead you. And that would be pretty arrogant if I thought in Bill Tweed there was anything good. See, I'm also a chief sinner. But see, I'm going to say I'll exalt my office because in my office it bypasses Bill Tweed and Jesus will minister to you through the office. Jesus can heal you through Bill Tweed because he's happened to be the person that's fulfilling that office at this particular time. There's nothing in Bill Tweed. That's why you better call upon Pastor Bill, not Bill. Somebody say amen. Because if you're looking to Bill, I'm sorry, I'm going to fail you miserably. But if you look to the pastoral office that Bill Tweed happens to be standing in at the moment, in this particular church at this time, and if you look to that, then you're not looking to me. But you're looking to me. That's how I can exalt my office and at the same time saying, and, and debase myself. And Paul, Paul says, I'm the chief sinner, but I'm going to exalt my office that I stand in. And, you, and the reason why that is, you should look to the office, not the person. Somebody say amen. I don't want attention directed at my own person. I want all attention directed at the office I'm standing in. If you want attention directed, if you want a groupies, if you want groupies, go be a rock star. A lot of these pastors are being called rock stars. If you want groupies and you want them to look to your person, then that's maybe where you need to be. But if you're looking for the office of a pastor, if you want a spiritual dad, somebody that not only feed you but might even you know, spank you a little bit in the word once in a while here and there, then, then you, you need to look to the office because that's where you're going to get proper development. Somebody say amen. A lot of them say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not some egotist. I don't need the name pastor. I don't need pastor. Put, well, you, you don't understand. That's really a false piety, false religiosity. See, you ought to be humble enough to say, don't look at me, look at the office. Somebody say Amen. The Bible talks about, uh, you know, how many of you know that when you think of Barack Obama today, you feel different than you did when he was the president of the United States? How many of you know that when you look at Donald Trump today, you feel a little bit different than you did when he was just a businessman? How many of you know the office demands honor? You know, one person said, uh, they asked a guy who flew a plane, and they, and they said, well, who's the most important man in that plane? He says, that depends on when you're asking. He says before, and he, and he was the guy that flew the president around the United States. And he says, before we get on the plane, the president's the most important man. He says, but when we all get on the plane, I'm the pilot, I become the most important man. Because he stood in that office. He says, and then when we land and I get, we both get back off the plane, I'm no longer the most important man. The president becomes the most important man, the one that needs to be protected. You see, God wants you to understand that you're to honor the office. Let, let's go on. In James 6, 1 through 6, the Bible says that Jesus in his own hometown, the people said, who is this? This is Jesus. We know his mother, Mary. We know his brothers and sisters like James and, and those guys. And he goes on and he says this. He says, 
A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. What was Jesus saying? He was calling himself a prophet, and he was saying the people would not give him any honor. Not Jesus, but they would not give him the honor of the office that he stood in. Are you all following me? And then verses 1 through 6, it goes on, it says, And there he could do no mighty works among them. Did you know that you have to look to the office, you have to show honor to the office before the office can begin to work? And that you can have... See, the way that you show love towards the feeder is cooperate with the way that God wants you to feed from that office. And so when you begin to do that, supernatural things begin to happen. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 12, it says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love. Now, that's the first place that you can find anything it doesn't say directly to love them. It says esteem them highly or show honor to them in love. Everybody say in love. So that's an expression of love. Why? Because God has sent them to teach you. And when you receive that, that is an expression. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sakes and be at peace among yourselves. Everybody say for their work's sake. What is the preacher's work to feed? See, if you'll esteem someone highly in love, like the apostles esteemed Jesus highly in love. They received all kinds of revelation. They received healing and deliverance flowing through them. The people that came and they wanted uh, to, to walk in love because they recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they recognized that and they saw him as the prophet and, and all these things. They received all kinds of things. But when he was just Jesus, you know, and they didn't show any honor towards his office of prophet, they couldn't receive anything. Nothing would work. You know, if your kids don't call you dad and mom, don't let your kids call you by your first name. Because I'm going to tell you something. You stand in the father office over your kids. And the way that they'll understand the heavenly father is to understand your fatherhood. What would you do if your kids just called you by your first name and never understood esteemed or recognized that you're the father or what about same thing with the mother what if your kids just called you by their first name and they never recognized that role of mother you know let's just go do things together like we're equals and let's go do things together like you're just another kid and, and instead of the person that God had put in your children's lives to bring development to them somebody say amen do you want your kids to receive development from you? Raise your hand if you want your kids to receive development from you. Amen. If your kids refused to call you mother or father and just called you by your first name, how many would be troubled by that? See, there's something wrong, and you would say, that does not feel like my child loves me because God put me into your life to love you by teaching you, training you, raising you up, sending you out in life well-equipped, to be able to be a successful person. How many of you want your kids to be a successful person? See, and then if that child never receives that, I'm going to tell you something, they're not going to be a successful person. Because if they can't receive the role of mom and dad, I got news for you, they will not receive the role of boss. They'll not receive somebody in the role of police officer. 
They'll not receive anybody according to their office. They'll only receive people in the way they want to view them. How many of you know, if you don't recognize the police officer as sir, police officer, your child could be in a lot of trouble? If your kids won't uh, receive the teacher at school and the principal as authority figures in their life, how many of you know they could be in a lot of trouble? When you refuse to recognize offices and act in accordance with it, your, your life will begin to fail more and more. And when they go get their first job and they start telling the boss what to do and that they don't have to do anything that he's telling them, how many of you know they're going to have trouble? Because they don't get it when it comes to recognizing offices that people stand in and the way that you relate to certain offices in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. See, now let's just take that to the pastor. If you don't recognize that, if you don't recognize the institution of the church, you don't recognize the pastor, that it's the place to get fed. It's the place to exercise and be a doer of the word that you've been fed. It's a place to go out from and give the word to lost people. If you don't, if you don't understand that, when you get before God one day and judgment comes, then you're going to, be, you're going to have a lot of confusion as to what you were supposed to do in life. Somebody say amen. amen. See, when you look at people, you have to esteem them for their work's sake. I esteem officers. You know, I've known police officers, and it's not Matt McCain or anybody in this. I've, I've, I've known police officers I had zero respect for. But I honored them and esteemed them as they stood in the office of a police officer. Somebody say amen. See, the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said, Recognize no man after the flesh. If we had to recognize people after flesh, we'd just say, well, Paul's just a dirty old sinner. He said he was the chief sinner. I'm not going to read one word of his. I'm not going to pay any attention to one bit that he ever wrote. If he's the chief sinner, why would I ever listen to anything written in that New Testament? If he's the chief sinner, why would I ever think that he should guide my life? Because, after all, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he was the one breaking all those rules before he ever wrote them. So why? No, because now he stands in the office of an apostle. And he has to exalt his office. And now I can receive what the apostle, because God says don't relate to anybody after the flesh. So receptivity to the messenger. Turn with me to Matthew, the 10th chapter. We're going to look at something here. And it says some very powerful things about receiving people. Don't receive people after the flesh. Receive them after the office that they stand in. Because look what it says in Matthew 10 and 14. And it says, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words. Did you know there's a correlation between if you receive a person, uh, you'll receive their words? If you don't receive that person in their personhood, who they are, the office that they stand in, you'll never receive their words. Somebody say amen. It's the truth. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear thy, your words, there's a correlation between receiving the person and being able to receive their words. When you depart out of that house or city and shake the dust off of your feet, verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. He had sent out the twelve, two by two, told them to go without purse, told them to go in and heal, cast out devils, raise the dead, preach the gospel. He said, go from city to city, bring that message to every town, and they that receive you, let the blessing reside on their house and that city, but those who don't receive you or your words. He says, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the cities that don't receive you and your words. Wow. 
Now, why is he so adamant about that? You keep on reading, you get to verse 40, and it says, And he that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, him that sent me. And he that receiveth the prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. You see, Jesus said to those disciples, he said, I says, if they receive you, really they're receiving me because I'm the one that sent you. And if they're receiving me, then they're receiving excuse me, God the Father because he's the one that sent me. And he says, and if they'll receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, not in the name of Joe or Fred or Sam, but if you'll receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. Well, you know what the prophet's reward was? The prophet's reward was a word from God. The prophet's reward was people being healed. A prophet's reward was sometimes raising somebody from the dead. Can I get an amen this morning? See, people, if they want to show their love for God and they want to show their love for the office of the pastor, then cooperate with what their job is in relationship to your life. You know, I remember when I tried to break horses to lead and then try to break them to ride. I also thought, I just wish they knew why I was trying to teach them this and that they would cooperate. And I remember we had some horses that would just, boy, they would just fight you. You'd tie them to a post and they'd pull back and they'd break the, the halter. We had horses flip themselves over. We had horses flip themselves upside down. We, we saw horses injure themselves and, and, and do anything but succumb to the training that the trainer was trying to give them. I remember we went into a guy's barn one time and he was a horse trainer and there was a horse hanging upside down. And, and I thought, my gosh, what are you doing to that horse? He says, we had him cross-tied, and he, he reared up, and he just kept throwing, and he flipped himself upside down. He says, I thought I'd just leave him there a little while so he could think about it. <laughs> How many know some people's lives are upside down? And God sometimes just leaves you there for a little while so you can think about it. He says, I, I've done that before. He said, I had a horse that did exactly the same thing. He said, and you know what? After that horse thought about it a little while, I took him down, and he fully cooperated with me. And he let me train him like he, like he just knew exactly what he was supposed to do. <laughs> you ever try to train anything, anybody? Hopefully you've trained your kids. Some people don't go along with God's plan. Some people don't go, want to go along with the local church. Some people don't want to go along with uh, you know, the pastor. Some people don't want to go along with this whole thing called teaching and training and, and discipling and, and walking. And the thing. Some people don't want to go along with it. And their life ends up upside down. You should have seen that horse. When I walked by, his eyes kind of looked at me the whole time I walked by him. <laughs> and it's almost like he's saying, will somebody help me? i never forget that guy. He said, I'm just going to let him think about it for a while. Now, he's not hurting himself. He's not choking. He's not breaking his leg. He's not getting hurt. He's just scared, and he's just acting stupid, and he's just resisting everything we're trying to do. He says, he's not in danger. It isn't going to hurt him. And, you know, I looked at him real close. I go, yeah. There's nothing in danger there. He's, he, nothing's getting hurt. Nothing's getting injured. Nothing. It's just that it's a good place for him to have to think for a little while. <laughs> time out. Amen. How many don't have to go through a time out? Amen. It's important that we do what the Lord has for us to do. See, when you receive the person, then you can receive his words. Paul said, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. First of all, he told him to receive the prophet in the name of a prophet. So you have to receive the office. 
Then he said, in, James said this, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. See, now, let me, let me show you something that happened to Jesus. When they couldn't receive his words anymore, they couldn't receive him anymore. Now, turn with me to John, the sixth chapter. Very powerful thing. The way that you love your pastor is that you receive the word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. The way that we love a pastor, or we, the way that we love a feeder is receive the word of God. Now, Jesus had this situation come up, and we can see that uh, Jesus was dealing with some, some people. And it, wait a minute, it's not John. It's, it's, uh, here it is. I'll just read it. We'll just read 60. And it said, And many therefore his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? And what, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickeneth, and the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Wow. See, in verse 60, it says, Many therefore his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can receive it? And Jesus said, These words are spirit and life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you go also? And Simon Peter answered and said unto him, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He didn't say, No, we wouldn't leave you because we think you're cool. He didn't say, no, we'll never leave you because, you know, you just got leadership skills like nobody else. Uh, we'll never lead you because you can heal people. No, when the others said, this is a hard saying, and when they could no longer receive his word, they could no longer receive him. The disciples said, we can't leave you because of your word, therefore we won't leave you. See, sheep should follow a shepherd because of what they're getting fed. Sheep love shepherds because of what they're getting fed, not because of the size of the building or the church or the music or the programs or anything like that. Sheep should desire and express love towards God for being fed. Somebody say amen. Say so there were sheep that followed Jesus and they became his disciples who said, where else would we go to get the word of life? Could we go down to this church and that church? Oh, well, they're liberal and they, don't, they, they believe it's okay to have abortion. They won't talk about politics. They won't do this. They, they don't really want to really give you the word. They just want to have church. But if you really have, you need to love that which really feeds you. What really feeds you. See, God sends people, you know, for instance, I didn't come uh, to Oskaloosa to make friends, to be affirmed because maybe I like the city or to make a lot of money. But God has called me here to build a church and to feed the flock so that God's family can be fed and a church can be formed and God can work through those people with the word of God. Somebody say amen. A lot of people build churches for strange reasons. But we should build a church for one purpose, to take the word of God to the world. We should be a word um, multiplication center. That word needs to be multiplied in you.
See, in Acts 6 chapter, it says that the disciples said, we'll stay home and read the Bible and get uh, prayed up so we can give you good sermons. It says, and then the word multiplied, and the number of the disciples also multiplied. See, the more the word gets multiplied in you, the more you'll multiply it in your world. You'll be telling, if you get so full of the word, you won't be able to help talking about it to all the people at work. You won't be able to help talking about it with all your family. If you really get full of the word, you won't be able to help but talk about it with your friends and your social circles. Somebody say amen. amen. So that, that's really important. And then lastly is cooperating with what we're doing, and this will be very quick. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 12. David said this, and this is very important because this is a key thing is cooperating to receive the word, but then cooperating help get the word out to others. How many of you are glad to get the word and want others to get it too? I believe that when I got a hold of the word, it so changed my life that I could hardly wait to get involved in getting it to other people. And I wanted to get involved in a church that got the word to other people. First Chronicles 12, 16 and 17. David said this, And there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold of David. David was out doing warfare, and these others came along. And David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, If you come peaceably unto me to help me, everybody say, help me. My heart shall be knit unto you, but if you come to betray me uh, to my enemies, seeing there is uh, no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereupon and rebuke it. So he said, if you've come to help, you'll be knit to my heart. Did you know that pastors... Uh, don't have favorites, but what does happen many times, I don't have favorites, just people who knit themselves to my heart by helping me. The way that you can love the pastor is come to help. Not just receive, yes, I want you to receive the word with meekness. Yes, we want you to be developed. Yes, but, but the way that you love and get your heart knit to a pastor's heart is you come and you help. And when you help, help what? Help get the word out to other people. See, everything revolves around my love towards you is feeding you the word, protecting you from false word, and trying to get you to engage in doing the word. That's my love for you. Your love for me as a pastor should be receiving the office of the preaching of the word. That's an office. Preachers of the word, that's an office. Receive the office of the word. Receive the preaching of the word, the actual feeding. Because if you don't receive the office, you won't receive the feeding. So you receive the office that God has created to give people the word. You receive the person and his preaching of the word. Then you receive the helping you get engaged in doing the word, which is the work of the church. So how many of you can see now that it all revolves around the word? I will love my, like Rhema, I've got pastors over me. I've got leadership over me. I go down to Winter Bible Seminar every February to receive the word from my organization and from the pastors over me that feed me. I receive Pastor Hagen and Miss Lynette Hagen. But I go down there, and I don't look to Pastor Hagen, but I look to the office that he stands in. He's a pastoral figure over me in my life. So I go down there, and I receive him. And because I receive him, I can receive his words uncritically. I can receive his words faith-filled. I can receive those words and let them have an effect. And every time I do, God blesses me and changes me and prepares me to go out and give more word to more people. 
So I go there, and my love towards the Hagans, yes, we send money. Yes, we bless them financially, and that's good, and that's another way you honor your pastor. But I go there, and I sit under his teaching. I honor him by showing up every year. I honor him by receiving him and the word that he's preaching to me. And then I honor him when they ask us to go back to the churches and do these certain things. Watch out for these false doctrines. Pastor Hagan taught extensively about uh, the hyper-grace doctrine that's been running through the church the last five, ten years. I received that correction, and not that we were into it, but I, I received that as something to watch out for. And so I received that word, and then I come back and I implement that word. So we, we receive the word, the person that stands in that office. We are willing to receive that teaching. We're willing to receive the implementation of that word to go out and bring it to other people. But all love revolves around the word because in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. And how many of you know in 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. Okay, now connect these dots. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we say, the word is God. And I'll say this, and God is love. So when you cooperate with the word, you're cooperating with God, who is love. See, that's how a pastor loves his sheep, and the sheep love their pastor, by cooperating with the word, cooperating to teach it, and cooperating to receive it. Because that word is God, and God is love. Did you know anytime you're doing the word, you're doing love? Did you know you can't be a doer of the word and not be doing love? When you do the word, you're doing love. When you're not doing the word, you're not walking in love. The word is God, and God is love. So a lot of people, they manufacture their own idea. Well, I think loving the pastor is doing this. Well, I think loving the people is doing this. No, 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 no. It's all about the word. Let's all stand. Amen.